And now, broadcasting from a two-person hot tub, high atop the Butterfield Park water tower, it's the E-Town Lowdown, created by Robbie and Rick. And now, your handsome hosts, PK and Rick. Welcome to another special edition of the E-Town Lowdown COVID-19 pandemic. Today is Tuesday, May 5th, 2020, and I have a very well-educated group of guests with me, and they're all credentialed. I have uh, a CEO and RN and a couple of MDs. So I have uh, Pamela Dunley, the president and CEO of Elmer's Memorial Hospital. I have Dr. Daniel Sullivan, who was a cardiologist and chief medical officer and vice president of medical affairs at Elmhurst Hospital. And I have Dr. Michael Hoffman, who's a pediatrician, uh, works out of Elmhurst Hospital and Elmhurst Clinic. Welcome all. Thank you. Nice to see you. Thank you. Glad you're all with me today. Uh, Pam, if we could start with you, do you have any any updates you want to give us on the hospital? What's new? Well, first my weather report, it is raining again, so now this is two weeks in a row that I look out and it's raining. I'm waiting for those sunny days again. But actually, a couple of really exciting things. Tomorrow is the first day of Nurses Week, so you know we know our nurses are our heroes, but this is the year that the World Health Organization named the Year of the Nurse. And so I think it's probably very appropriate that it was the Year of the Nurse, since the nurses are front and center and everything going on and um, and so we will be celebrating all week our heroes our nurses so look online on our Facebook page on on um, our, our own website and see all the nurses that we're recognizing and then another exciting thing really exciting thing is we will probably be on the news today because we just discharged one of our young patients, he's 30 years old, who has been in the hospital uh, 44 days, and he was intubated for 21 days, and he it was just released to go home, and he saw for the first time in, um, in 44 days his children, he has three small children, or well, a 15-year-old, a toddler, and a infant, and his wife, and they were here, and then the wife was able to put the daffodil, actually his uh, youngest, his uh, toddler put the daffodil in front of the hospital. To, so we will have his daffodil for him going home and having survived a very serious illness of COVID. Wow, that's a great story. Uh, it's too bad that he was in there in the first place, but great that after all that time intubated that he, he's out and got to see his family. That, that's great. Can you give us a quick update on uh, your uh, census as it relates to COVID patients? Yes, uh, last week I thought we had evened out, um, and so last week we were at 58 positives. Um, We did have a little spike up again. We are at 66 positives with 13 rule outs. Where we did not go up was in deaths, so we remained with 37 deaths, so that's good news. That's great news. DuPage County went from 2,736 positive patients to 3,803. And the state went from 48,102 positive patients to 63,840. Do you think that's mostly as a result of increased testing? I think that's a huge part of it, is that the availability of testing, which is really important so that we can know who's positive and we can have them isolate and try to contain this disease. Right. And then finally, our discharges went from 154 discharges of patients who were covid 
uh, positive to 198, with, of course, this guy going home today, so that will raise us up to 199 discharge patients. So that's another really great news. That's great. So that's a lot of daffodils out front, too, right? That's a lot of daffodils. Uh, can you give us a quick update on, on staff who may have tested positive? Yes, we um, only went up one staff member from last week, so we have 23, we had 22 um, employees in the hospital that were positive, and we have 23 right now, and we did not go up at all in the physician practice division. We remain at 15 staff members who are positive, so those seem to be evening out as well. Can you give me just a rough estimate of how many employees are at Elmhurst Hospital? There's probably about, uh, for the system, there's 8,400 employees, and at Elmhurst Hospital, there's probably around 2,500 employees. So it's not a huge amount of employees being ill, but we're representative of the community. What's, uh, what's your latest update on the capabilities for testing? So last week, I told you we could do about 1,500 a day. We found out for the system that now we can do 2,000 per day, so we are continuing to get more capability for testing, which is really great news so that we can expand who we're testing. And as people need to come into the hospital, we'll have tests available. Great. I think I have a question for Dr. Sullivan, and that is, how are you uh, ensuring that your employees don't have signs of COVID? How are you monitoring that at the hospital? Well, what we do with the, the employees, and that would include the staff, the nurses, the physicians, is when they enter the hospital, we do check their temperature. We ask the specific questions that are uh, usually related to COVID, like shortness of breath, um, fever, cough, um, and some of the other things, muscle aches and the other things. If they don't have a temperature and they don't have any of the symptoms, um, then they just come in and they use the usual mask. If they have something that's a question, then we, we do wind up testing them. When we test them, if they are positive, which as Pam has already stated, there's not many that are positive, then we start doing some tracings on them to try and figure out did they, were they in an area that put them at risk or was this something that was more community acquired? Um, and, and one thing I would like to say is that as we've looked at our employee population, there have been no specific areas where it shows up um, where we would be suspicious that it was uh, from patient to employee or uh, really employee to employee so that a lot of this looks like it's community acquired when it does occur. Uh, and really our rates are probably lower than what you see out in the community. Um, I think with, with people utilizing the PPE the way they're utilizing it, the likelihood of, of getting an infection from a patient is pretty low. I talked uh, last week with Pam a little bit about the governor's current order that it would allow elective surgeries again. And I just wonder if uh, Elmhurst has started elective surgeries again, and if not, when, and what restrictions you might have on those surgeries. So we have um, plans to get started next week um, on Monday. Uh, some of the restrictions are what the state puts on the restrictions, which is you have to have availability of beds both for the general population as well as the intensive care population. Um, and then you have to do testing of the patients, which we will. We have it in play. It'll start on Thursday, where we'll start testing patients preoperatively. If they're if they either have symptoms or they test positive, they will not proceed on with surgery. We will continue to screen our staff. If the staff um, bring out symptoms or uh, signs of infection, they will not. We will obviously move on with testing for them. So we're going to really work to keep this 
this patient population very safe uh, so that they can move on with their elective surgeries. Is there a, a testing procedure for elective surgery patients in terms of timing? Like when they show up at the hospital, do they get a quick test? How does that work? So the, the state is requiring that you have a test within three days of the procedure. Uh, what we're doing is we're going to start testing people at our drive-through um, when we have the opportunity. If it's an emergent case, obviously it, it has to be the rapid test. Um, if it's a case that's out in the that we have time to plan for, we'll try and get them uh, one to two to three days before the surgery. Have them go through the drive-through, have the results of the test well before the the planned surgery, so that if things change, um, then we would be able to make those changes without so much disruption. Is that it's very important for the patients, once they're tested negative, we're going to ask them to quarantine because we don't want them picking up an infection between the time of the test and the time of the procedure. Right. The governor's order, uh, it's my understanding that it provides some restrictions to to how many? Uh, just based on your availability, there's no restriction, uh, but you you need to have beds available for them, and you really have to, th and, that, and we do that. you got to plan that if patients are going to be staying overnight, you have to have enough room so that you, right now you have 20% of your beds available for COVID in the event that there's a surge. Dr. Hoffman, question for you. So you, uh, you operate an office out of Elmhurst Clinic, and you may have more than one office. How are your offices uh, operating differently during the pandemic? We, we do screen our employees actually exactly the same way that the hospital does. As part of a system, we have, for all the outpatient uh, sites within the system, we have screeners checking at the uh, front doors to our facilities. They're screened with a temperature screening. They're asked the questions regarding COVID and symptoms of COVID and, uh, and given a mask, just like everyone uh, that's a patient or a visitor to our facilities are given a mask. Um, in regard to our office operating differently, we have underlined the most important principle for seeing patients in our office, which is safety, safety, safety. The safety of our patients, the safety of our staff, and the safety of our providers is tantamount to anything that we're going to be doing. So a screening procedure for us is when a patient calls to schedule an appointment, they have the opportunity to schedule a virtual visit, which is a phone or a video visit, or the opportunity as appropriate to be seen in person. Um, they're screened for COVID and anyone that's coming with them is screened with the same questions because the visitors are equally as important as the patient in that regard when we're making sure that we're not having um, people with symptoms uh, entering our facilities unwarranted. Um, the second screening happens at the door, and the third screening happens when they get up to an office. Uh, and my office is on the second floor, so once they get up there, they're screened again by uh, the person that's uh, taking their information. We're trying to even reduce that more by doing that virtually, by having people pre-register or pre-screen for their appointment uh, by the phone or online, so that when they do arrive and come upstairs, they're, they're taking directly to a room and avoiding congestion or congregation in uh, waiting rooms. Um, our office is also limiting uh, the number of doctors and staff that are in one area to avoid uh, breaking the rules about social distancing even within our office. And we're also limiting the number of patients that can be seen per hour in, in person in our areas, once again, to keep social distancing and safety as the number one uh, priority. 
We've uh, heard a lot about age being a significant factor as it relates to risk with COVID patients. So are you seeing a lot of young folks, first of all, uh, testing positive for COVID? And if so, what are their... Well, uh, this is great news, actually. Thankfully, children seem to be not bearing the brunt of this horrible disease. Uh, As you mentioned, there are risk factors. The elderly population and comorbid conditions tend to be the the leading uh, factors for people getting COVID, though anybody of any age could get it. But for children, uh, especially, uh, you know, toddlers, you know, through teenage years tend to be very mild in their symptoms, not in every case, but very mild uh, typically. Uh, I think their biggest risk factor is for the very young or children or infants that have comorbid other conditions like respiratory problems, heart disease, or were premature. Uh, they, t- you know, they tend to be in the literature uh, more at risk, but it's probably not more than two to three percent of the population that gets COVID is kids right now, and they, in general, tend to have a mild disease, course uh, shorter uh, duration of illness, and have not been hospitalized near to the level that adults have uh, had this disease. So, have you guys seen kids that are positive? We've had positive kids that have been treated as outpatients. We've had to admit no one. That's great. What um, what do you typically recommend as the minimum age for a child to wear a mask? Well, that's a great question, and it's a really hard thing because it really depends on the child. Uh, we try and mask uh, everybody two and up, uh, but that doesn't mean every two-year-old with a mask on wants to keep it on. Uh, so we're doing our best in that circumstance. For infants or children in carriers, um, we ask that, you know, when they're going through common areas, uh, you know, coming up from the car or that to, you know, to put a, you know, a drape over the, the carrier to act like a mask, uh, you know, for, for those circumstances. And most people have those attached to their, you know, their buggies or carriers anyway. So that protects the youngest kids. Uh, but, uh, for for the older kids, it's it's hit or miss. We put masks on them and we try and keep them on them, but uh, I'll be honest, that not every child keeps one on uh, for the duration of their visit. As it relates to children, those with asthma are they at higher risk of of having some difficulty with COVID? Frankly, there's not a lot of data on children with asthma specifically in this short uh, term here of two months with the pandemic. Um, just because of the numbers. Once again, if the numbers are 2 to 3% of kids get it, then you have to look at kids with asthma. I think that the younger kids with respiratory disease, like premature babies that may have been on ventilators or other things, may be more at risk per se, but the literature does support that if you have a moderate to severe asthma, you are at a higher risk in general of, of having problems if you did contract COVID. Um, the advice for people that have asthma Number one is to stay on your medical regimen. Uh, Every child has an asthma action plan for what to do when they're well and what to do when they're sick. We don't want anybody to change their medications uh, unless they're being told to do so by a physician. Um, And to avoid triggers, uh, avoid things that may, especially here because it's springtime when asthma is prevalent, to avoid things that may uh, cause them to have an asthma exacerbation. And the other things that everyone talks about are equally as effective for an asthmatic. Stay home, stay away from sick people, wash your hands, don't touch your face. And if you do have sick people in your house, try and quarantine yourself away from the sick person in your house. And then a very other, a very important other factor is, you know, this is hard with kids, but, you know, 
you know, the, the lesson of don't share in this circumstance, don't share spoons and forks and uh, glassware and, and soda pop cans and all those other things, you know, because those are other uh, vectors in which uh, the disease can be spread. Dr. Sullivan, at, at what point do you generally send somebody for a test? How bad do the symptoms have to be? You know, they're, they're getting, the degree is getting less. If people are, if we're suspicious of people with any of the symptoms, um, particularly if they're with people, living with people or around people who are at higher risk, we, we generally recommend the testing then. Okay. Well, that's an improvement from a, a few weeks ago, isn't it, Pam? It is an improvement. And I just want to let you know, Dr. Hoffman is now the president of Elmhurst Clinic. I don't know if you know that. So he knows everything that's going on in all of those physician offices. I did not know that. That's great. Congratulations, Dr. Hoffman. Thanks. Quick quick question about um, your practice and other doctors' practices in places like Elmer's Clinic. Um, how has this been affecting revenue and, and your ability to, to keep your staff on board? Well, uh, yeah, that's a great question. Just like uh, the rest of the hospital system, certainly the outpatient areas have taken a significant hit uh, to their practices from an uh, income generation standpoint. We do have a great partnership with uh, the Edward Elmhurst Health System, and everyone's doing their best to keep people uh, as whole as possible when it comes to work opportunities, salary, et cetera. Uh, in our work environment, nobody's been let go uh, due to this uh, crisis, due to money, even though we know that everyone is losing money right now. Um, we're trying to uh, generate income, uh, by doing things as safely as possible, there's, you know, of course, the impulse to say, get back to doing things just like you were before, um, because it's income generating. But uh, the system, our clinics, our docs are not taking that back. We are doing things incrementally, safely, uh, even at a financial cost and burden to ourselves and the system, because it's the right thing to do for our patients, for our staff, for our families. Uh, we can't sacrifice safety uh, you know, for the bottom line. The system's been doing that the entire time in purchasing PPE for every employee, so no one is ever uh, at risk due to lack of PPE. Um, and they've done it by saying, you know, shut down offices where they need to be shut down and open them as safely as possible, even though that may not be uh, in the financial best interest of the organization. And Pam, as it relates to PPE, how are your supplies? So I got to give a big shout out to Costco because remember the last few weeks I talked about needing PDI wipes and, um, and so Costco came through for us and got us through our, our shortcomings and now we've got enough in the organization. So for any of you that use Costco, you can thank them when you go there because they were a big help. And then the, the community continues to uh, make masks for us. And so that's really important as well because we do use the cloth masks in areas that are not direct patient care areas. And then also we give it to families in need that may have a family member at home and they need to have masks as well. So those cloth masks are a big help and so keep those coming. And I, and I also want to say um, it is really safe to go to our outpatient areas. We yesterday opened up again more outpatient services, so more radiology testing, more um, laboratory work, and we increased for
from when we were running prior to the pandemic, maybe 280 a day in terms of um, of MRIs and CAT scans. Yesterday, we got we we gotten down to maybe around 100 a day. We were back up to 250, and all of the patients that came through all of our outpatient areas yesterday spoke to the staff about how impressed they were with the cleanliness, the safety procedures, wipe, wiping down of arms of chairs, sitting far enough away from each other, wiping down anything that, that patients and employees touched. And, and the patients saw these procedures and felt very safe and very comforted. So I do want the community to know that if you are sick, please do not wait too long to go get help. We have had some cases where people waited too long and they had major complications of their disease because they didn't get in and get help soon enough. And we don't want that to happen. The, the emergency departments are not overcrowded. They are safe in the emergency departments and the outpatient areas are safe to go get testing. Well, I for one would feel safer at Elmhurst Hospital than I would in a grocery store. And I hope that people realize that the hospital is a safe place to visit. A couple questions about your website. I see you've got some great resources on there, including do's and don'ts of wearing face masks and uh, how to keep your home safe from coronavirus. Uh, I, I assume you're going to keep putting those resources up there? We will put those up. We will put up resources around where you can go for blood donations, considering we still need blood. Um, we, we try to put everything new that happens out in the community so that you are aware and can keep yourself educated, as well as um, if you have questions or concerns what to do, because we want people to feel comfortable and feel safe and not worry. And I, it was interesting, I heard a study today that people are going to Facebook and Twitter for information about COVID-19 rather than going to the CDC website or hospital websites. And yes, Facebook has a lot of really good information and Twitter does, but it's not all accurate or real. And so if you really want what's accurate, what's been vetted by uh, physicians and in terms of knowledge that's, that's been um, verified, please go to the CDC website or go to Elmhurst Hospital website or another hospital website because not everything you hear, I know, surprise, on Facebook, or Twitter is right. <laughs> That's true. I want to say the uh, the campus looks beautiful as always this spring, and uh, I, for one, am certainly looking forward to seeing that parking lot full again. Uh, I appreciate the three of you uh, spending some time with us today, and I want uh, Dr. Sullivan and Dr. Hoffman to know that uh, when this uh, pandemic is over, they too will get an E-Town Lowdown mug suitable for all types of beverages. <laughs> so thanks for being my guest today, three of you. Thank you so much, and you and the community have a wonderful week. I look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks so much. Now more than ever, we're asking the community of Elmhurst to please fill out your U.S. 2020 census. It's quick, safe, and easy, and you can do it online at my2020census.gov. Thank you. Hi, this is Jack Island of the Silverado Grill. My definition of a great evening is yoga. Maryland Crab Cakes, and E-Town Lowdown with Robbie, Rick, and PK. Well, yoga and crab cakes. Bet my money on a Bob Dale nag. 
The staff and management of the E-Town Lowdown would like to assure our more sensitive listeners that our food critic Sal is really half Italian. His mother is from Poland and his father is from the great country of Italy. We hope you will enjoy and not be offended. Hey yo, Slappy Sal here for the E-Town Lowdown. So I'm out in front of my house cleaning off my Virgin Mary lawn ornament and my neighbor Bobby Brucey comes over and he says, uh, hey Sal. I said, uh, hey Bobby Brucey. He says, uh, how you doing? I says, uh, hey, how you doing? He says, uh, I'm hungry. I feel like having some soup. I says, hey, what do I look like, a soup kitchen? He says, what? And I says, second base. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? He says, I think I'm going to get some food from Flava. And I says, uh, speak English, or at least speak Italian. He says, Flava is a takeout place that makes fresh soups, sandwiches, and dinners. So he gets in his car and he takes off and he comes back with a big thing of black bean soup plus some sausage and chicken bolognese. You gotta be kidding me. You know what I mean? So I head over myself to check this place out. Turns out the folks over there are super nice, Kevin and Meredith. And man, they taught old Sal a thing or two about making fresh food dishes. So I walked out of there with some barbecue pork loin with corn relish and some blackened shrimp and rice. Delicios. Kevin and Meredith are doing curbside pickups, 570 South York, South York Road. You definitely want to check their food out. Now, if I could just get Bobby Brucey to tell his dogs to keep their culos off my lawn. This is Slappy Sal for the E-Town Lowdown, reminding you what Federico Fellini once said. Life is a combination of magic and pasta. The E-Town Lowdown brought to you by the wonderful folks at the Elmhurst Armpit Orchestra featuring the biggest bass drum in the world at nine feet in diameter yes you heard that right nine feet in diameter this has been a special presentation of the e-town lowdown